0: You go to court with a false allegation and you think that as long as I'm being truthful, open, honest, and I've got evidence to suggest that what's being said is refutable, then I'm going to have a good outcome. No, you're literally there as a person with no rights.
1: Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here.
2: Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing this podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries, employees, or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together.
1: We'd like to thank our sponsor, G 2 for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VosG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran, and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade.
3: All right, how's everyone doing out there today? I'm happy to see we're all above ground and breathing. Let's try to keep it that way, okay? On today's show, we're talking with Paul, who started That CMS Guy. After seeing how little has been done to change the child support collection system in the UK, Paul took up the challenge of uniting the tribes to end this injustice. We've also identified an unfortunate pattern from people who see themselves as righteous while they try to stomp out evil. I might have missed this one if I didn't fall victim to the same trap early on. In a world where headlines scream for attention, we choose to listen to the whispers that hold the true revelations. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cries podcast. How are we doing, Paul?
0: I'm very well. How are you?
3: Doing well, sir. So uh, where are we calling home these days?
0: I live in Essex, which is about 16 miles away from central London. Train um, direct into London takes about twenty minutes.
3: When well, what brought you up there? Are You near your folks or near the near your kids?
0: Um, yeah, I, I kind of grew up here in Essex in Harrowwood with my parents. I was adopted at the age of about twelve years of age. Had a, quite a difficult childhood. Uh, went through extraordinary abuse and was adopted and moved to Kent when I was about thirty-two and worked there for about five years, and then my wife now, my second wife, we moved back to Essex, and we were here in this bungalow here because my nan had dementia, and she needed somebody to look after her, and she didn't want to go into a care home, so what we did is that we struck up a residence with her so that we could support her in her needs, and she died about three years ago now, but we've remained in this property ever since.
3: I'm sorry, dementia is not easy.
0: It's one of those things where anybody who's dealt with a family member who has dementia, you can really see the the decline in their personality, their quality of life, and they're just not there. And by the time that she died, it was almost like a you know a relief because she wasn't enjoying life. She was extraordinarily confused and upset. Anybody that's gone through it would know that. It's not an easy ride for the people around those you know who have dementia. It's not just something that affects the individual; it does affect the rest of the family, and it's it's so hard and heartbreaking, especially if that person had been a very kind of competent and mm-hmm. lively individual. So, yeah, it's a ter- It's an awful disease, really. It's-
3: so, how how did you meet your ex?
0: Well, that's a really good question. Thank you. I met my ex at church. After having a life of uh, a lot of waywardness and bad decisions, went back to church in about 2000 and I met a a young girl who seemed to be a very nice Christian girl. And by all accounts, that's exactly what she was. We fell in love and I asked her to marry me in Northern Ireland. And within about six months, we were married. So it was like a whirlwind romance. Yeah. As soon as I asked her to marry her, I got the the sense that, that's it, I'm a passenger. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got married in 2004, and we were both serving in the church, and we were both working with youth. So on a Monday night, there was a, a centre for unchurched children. Uh, they would meet there, we would play games with them, football, basketball, all, all kinds of different games, and then we would speak to them about the Word of God. Not all of them were very interested in it, but some of them... Actually, were interested and moved on into having a faith in God, which was oh, wonderful. Nice. And then that's what my ex-wife and I we did together for about four years, three years, something like that, until I started university and and the two things kind of conflicted a little.
3: Then you fell in love, got married, and next came the baby. How many children do you guys have together?
0: So uh, we didn't have children straight away when I married my ex. I I didn't really have any qualifications. I didn't really have any skills. And all I had was a desire to help. So what I did is I became a support worker, working with adults with learning disabilities. I found quite difficult when you got somebody just banging their head for eight hours. You can yeah. go home and you can be, this is, this is getting to me a little bit. You just know? a little bit. It was a very low paid job. And my ex had a quite a high paid job. So I just went into that it's all shift work so sometimes you'd be on day shifts like you from eight to eight at night and Mm -hmm. then others be on a a full waking night so that just messes around with your clock so my ex-wife and I we were kind of like passing shifts constantly you know she was working as a a professional in in a different field and I was working as a a support worker that we just didn't really see a lot of each other in that period of time so I thought something's going to change looking into the future I was thinking what can I do if we want to have a family, what can I do you know, to bring the money? Because I was on £12,500 a year. That's not a lot of money. You can't really survive sort of on or bring up a family on £12,500 per year, not including tax. Right. It was a case of either become a, a police officer. So I did that. I got past the first and second paper sift. Then I had this kind of role play thing where it was in a shopping centre and it, it didn't work out. So I thought, okay, I'll become a social worker instead. So I started the process of becoming a social worker.
3: And have you completed that process?
0: Yes, I did. I mean, I qualified in two thousand and ten. But for me, who was told that you'll never go to university, boy, you're too, uh, you're too sick for that, was a huge uh, achievement for me to be able to go to university. I think I was about twenty six at the time. You, so, um, but you, but I qualified under a, an enormous. Cloud of despair because of um, my subsequent divorce.
3: So, unfortunately, as you're celebrating getting this degree, now your your divorce is starting, or at least your relationship was going south.
0: Well, I'd actually noticed that um, my relationship with my ex was not as it should be. The life that I lived before I was a Christian was very different to my life afterwards, and obviously, you have a desire to to be the man that you believe that God wants you to be, and also in your marriage as well. But within about a few weeks of being married, you know, we had a joint account at that time. I think I spent something like 20 quid. I got paid off my job, and then she found out about it, and then she just split all the the financial things into separate accounts, said I was an untrusty man with money. Which I was completely shocked at. Didn't know really what to do about it, and just thought, well, okay, I'm just going to have to have my own finances, and and she's going to have hers. I mean, she was earning a lot more money. Being 26 years of age, you're a bit, you know, young, dumb, and stupid. You know, didn't really know any better. I had that kind of desire to be, you know, a really, really good husband. I wanted to be a good husband for her. I didn't want to let her down. I, yeah, so I thought that, yeah, that was a red flag for me. The fact that um, she had separated our accounts, told me I was untrustworthy and I didn't really know what to do about it. Should have challenged it in some way, but I didn't. I let it go. That was one red flag. Then there were other red flags as as time went on. Eventually, I got a job as a social worker in Medway and contact with my son was set up for every other weekend. But I I had nobody. I knew nobody in Medway, which is in Kent. Yeah, you know, it's quite a distance away. It's about yeah. it's about an hour from here. I got a job as a child social worker, working with children from 0 to 18 years of age, making sure that they've got education, a foster placement or in residential care, have finances sorted out, have contact with their families. And I was working with quite complex cases as well and working with children in gangs and all that kind of stuff. But at, whilst I was dealing with all that, I had some really serious mental health issues. I was really struggling. On this side of the fence, I'm working with children who are disadvantaged, disenfranchised, not seeing their own families, been abandoned, having to be put into the care system, making sure that we are supporting these children all the way through, and then be working with them so that they can have the best opportunities. That was my job. But then on the other side of the fence, I'm being told I'm a a wife beater and my house, my finances and all that have been stripped from me on the basis of uh, that particular allegation. And she tried to get a divorce on the basis of uh, domestic violence, but I wouldn't allow that, refused to sign it. She got me to sign... Uh, irreconcilable differences, whatever that means.
3: That's exactly Um, how what happened to us. Exact same scenario. She came for domestic violence. I refused to sign it because other than us yelling at each other, which is obviously not a nice way to live. However, it doesn't warrant going to a domestic violence shelter. And you really feel horrible. uh, All right, so the divorce started and obviously court started. What happened after that?
0: So uh, I knew nothing about court. I knew nothing about child support. I knew nothing about... Where I stood legally in this scenario of two parents who are trying to resolve contact, I had no idea. Up until I went to court for the first time in about 2013 or 2012, I even had ministers threatening me and saying, unless you do this or provide that bit of information or whatever, you're not going to see your son. So I even had people who call themselves Christians who are in the ministry seeking to control my ability to see my son or not. It's only by the grace of God that I didn't lose my temper, but I certainly was struggling with my mental health because of of those pressures. And then um, the first time that my ex took me to court on domestic violence allegations, which were quite unbelievably varied and protracted. And so that story where I tipped over that wardrobe, supposedly I picked it up and threw it at her. <laughs> the and she'd even said that she had to go to hospital because of all the, all the bru- bruises that I'd inflicted upon her. But the law had changed at that point. So if any woman in England goes to hospital because of domestic violence, the first thing that happens is they'll call the police they'll take some photos and there'll be a record of that that then can be followed all the way through the core process. There was nothing there, nothing like that at all. So there's a number of th- the number of things that don't quite add up here. At this point, I'm a qualified registered practicing social worker. So that means that I'm DBS, I'm cleared to work with vulnerable children and adults. And yet there's this allegation that I, I'm a domestic violent person. Yet, There is zero police reports, but there's no reports from hospital or GP regarding any form of domestic violence injuries. So there's just a whole bunch of allegations that were extraordinarily hurtful that I was beating her up on a regular basis. And lots of people believed this. It wasn't a case of, well, she's just saying that in order to get contact. She was saying it to a load of people even before we'd even broke up. That I didn't even know mm. that narrative had already been in play without me being aware of it so I was wondering why why is it that people are giving me the cold shoulder what is happening for that to happen what is what am I doing wrong that people don't want to speak to me suddenly my friends just disappeared even before the marriage ended and then it dawned on me maybe a few years later this narrative was in play even before the divorce took place. It was like dominoes. Mm-hmm. The narrative had been set up and it was just a case of pushing something and seeing it all play out. Take the house, take the money, take the child. Get the. I mean, before I qualified as a social worker, my ex-mother-in-law, every time I spoke to her on the phone or wherever, she was just saying, get a job, get a job. All you need to do is get a job. So said, why is she just constantly telling me I need to get a job? I'm at university. I know now. They just wanted me to get on child support interesting. I had a series of different orders. I had to relinquish my passport. I had to promise I would never kidnap my son. I wasn't allowed to take him away on holiday or anything like that. I even found out that one of the the ministers at one of these churches had written an allegorical book called Princess and the Dragon. And that book was then being used with my son to tell him about his relationship to me.
3: Obviously, you know, so the that princess. Story was
0: uh, Yeah, exactly. So basically, you can quite quickly come to your own conclusion. The princess was her. I was the dragon. And and then there was this hero, this minister who wrote the book, who came to save them. And this was being told to my child to confuse him to his relationship with me. And that was very, very early on. And I was absolutely outraged by it. but.
3: Well, you don't live in Stroud anymore. What happened when you left?
0: So what happened is is that we left that church in Stroud and moved back to do Harold Wood. Those leaders said that they wanted to maintain the relationship with my son and with their own son and would like to uh, make it possible so that they can be pen pals. I was being a bit naive, I suppose, but I just gave them the address of my ex-wife. But that letter that I'd sent on to my ex meant that that leader was then able to communicate with my ex and say, oh, he was this, he was that, he was da, 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 da. And they they met up and then agreed to make a false allegation in order that they could take me to court and then remove contact.
3: Right. Got it now. Understood. How, how did this affect your overall health?
0: For a period of time, you know, I was drinking quite heavily, drinking a lot of wine, Because my brain couldn't cope with what was happening. I couldn't understand the sheer level. This is the most abuse I've ever experienced. It's destroying you from within. Your brain is like you're then your enemy. Your emotions are just constantly in fight or flight. And you can't really understand what is going on. It's an an unbelievable state that men are placed in. And I think that the, the legal system even in America, they all know this. They all know that this is a play against fathers. So you you go to court with a false allegation and you think that as long as I'm being truthful, open, honest, and I've got evidence to suggest that what's being said is refutable, then I'm going to have a good outcome. No, you, you, you're literally there as a person with no rights and your rights are being removed on the basis of, in this country, we have the Children Act 1989. And the philosophy of that act is what is going to be in the best interest of that child. I know, I studied this stuff. I also worked within the, the Children Act 1989. So I understood quite quite uniquely in that situation, the legal framework for the best interest for my child. It's not about me or how I feel about it. It's going to be what's ultimately going to prevent my son experiencing harm. And it went on for years as well. I went to court with my ex for about two or three times almost every year up until about 2018 where it culminated in a hearing
3: how long did you not see your son for again
0: we went to scotland my wife and i um cuz we got remarried and then we came back and we got the, the notification that contact had been yanked and i didn't see my son from t- about september 2017 to about June, July, two thousand
3: and eighteen. Oof, it's a long time.
0: Apart from like the odd moment here or there, which I'll, I'll explain. So all of a sudden, I'm in a hearing, and there's a process now of a big fact finding, complicated hearing that was going to that culminated about June or July. What had happened is that when I moved back to this area here. I was having contact with my son. I made a bunch of mistakes in my openness to, to my son. I said, would you like to see us like more often? Because now I'm in this area, that might be possible. It's not his fault, but he went back to his mum, said that. So she immediately set up a process of putting him into counselling you know, for this abuse that he was receiving. That was with the school. That he was attending and actually she was very very good she was a proper child counselor very child centered she also got in contact with another counselor who was um, who was recommended by her mother who i would imagine to, to say is a narcissist and she connected with this this child counselor and these child counselors they're not actually regulated by anybody they can do pretty much whatever they want so if they have, for instance, a feminist ideology and that is about hating men and hating fathers, they can just communicate with a mother and then just decide that, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I'll write that in my thing. Your ex-husband, he's a child abuser. Now, the power that these child therapists have is that that's a document that they can then go and defend in court. And there's nothing to corroborate it other than this supposed child-centred work that these counsellors have done. So there was this counsellor who had never met with me, only met with my son a couple of times, and concluded that actually he was a child who was dealing with severe trauma because of the abuse that he was suffering from me. So they went to court and they testified against me in court, presenting all kinds of evidence that my son had drawn and and written he'd written things that imagine would have written if it wasn't for being coached mm-hmm. and what started to undo it is that after, after the call process i found out that my ex and her her mother went to the child counselor at the school of my child and threatened them with their job because actually the evidence within their writings was this the counselor said to my son so why are you scared of your dad then? And my son said, I'm not scared of my dad. Why is my mum saying that? And mm. that's it. That that started to unravel this idea of that my son was afraid of me in some way. And then the judge was actually quite fantastic on, in this particular issue. He actually gained the confidence of my ex because she had this diary. From the moment I said that I was trying to get 50-50 contact, because in, in England... You can get 50-50 contact if you're in the same area, and we were in the same area. So that's something I was going to apply for. I should have just done it and not said it to my son. Mm -hmm. Anyway, from that moment, she was writing a diary of all the supposed interactions with my son that would be then evidence to present to a court of the abuse that he was suffering out that I'd shouted at him, that I'd starved him, that I'd I'd done all these terrible, terrible things. Not one of those things was true. Not one of those things could ever be corroborated in in reality or in fact, or in evidence. One of the main bits of evidence that kind of undone it was the counselor from the school had asked my son the question, why are you afraid of your dad? A direct kind of open-ended question. Mm -hmm why are you afraid of your dad i'm not afraid of my dad why would my mom say that and she was going to present that evidence to call and was quite happy to do so until she was threatened with a job because we had evidence that she had threatened that counselor with their job that evidence was not presented by my own barrister for quite some time we said we need to present it and then once it was presented he wanted to relook at the evidence relook at the, the case because kind of identified that She was playing the system. In criminal court, if you are accused of a crime, you are innocent until proven guilty. Right. But in a family court, you are guilty until proven innocent. In this country, as it may be quite similar in America, is that the philosophy underpinning everything in family court is the mother is believed until proven otherwise. The children are best placed with the mother, despite proof that suggests that they are abusive to their child. I've worked in social services. I know that they will work endlessly with a mother who's proven to be neglectful, abusive, uh, destructive, doesn't care about the needs of the child. And then you might have a father who's got like a little alcohol issue, but is really interested in working with the child they would just brush that person off and continue to work with that mother. So there's a huge difference in how they view parenthood in this country, which I think is similar in America. And that is a painful place to put any parent because what happens is you're accused. And so social services then yank the child out of your life. And then you have the Spanish inquisition on every aspect of your life to prove that you're a worthy parent to be in that child's life. I was working still as a qualified social worker, holding a caseload of about 15 to 18. All children, none of my own, but my own child, I'm not allowed to wear. So there was a huge disparity in terms of mm-hmm. what was going on in my life.
3: So now that you're involved in activism, where can people find you?
0: I've got a, a channel on TikTok, that's called the, That CMS Guy. And that covers every single aspect as possible that I can cover as I'm learning it and working and collaborating with other creators in relation to the child support system within the UK, which is corrupt. It's rogue. It causes about a thousand deaths per year of of non-resident paying parents. It collects false arrears. It has a billion pounds nearly that has just disappeared and paid to whoever, we don't know, it has a reputation of destroying families. But what it's meant to do is to allow parents who are split up to arrange financial support for the child or children that they have together in a way that's amicable and neutral. But it doesn't do that. It takes a very one-sided approach view. And actually, it fails them both in both directions. Because Money that's meant for children isn't necessarily getting there, but yet fathers are paying over and above what they earn, over and above what they are able to pay. And it's placing lots of fathers in financial duress and to the point of being so overwhelmed that they're taking their lives. The child support system does take people's houses for like two to three thousand pound debts, which I've heard. is a huge horror story my own case is that we were very open with the child support you think if i'm open if i'm being honest then things will resolve themselves We're, we're dealing with a government agency we're not in another country where the governments are less interested in their population we're in a evolved uk of equality and rights so therefore if you're dealing with a government agency all you need to do is be open and truthful, and you're going to get a good result. You would think. You would think, but not with CMS. But my own particular case is that we were very open and honest with them, gave them all the information that they needed to take child support, Wanted to be a very good and dutiful father, did not want to be labeled with being a deadbeat dad, which mm-hmm. is like a universal uh Western. Uh, terminology, and that is seeped into the culture in order to allow there to be a, a, a disparaging view of fatherhood, especially if you're a father who's in a broken relationship with the mother. A deadbeat dad who's not able to pay for the child is a dad that deserves everything that the that society can throw at him. Well, we know that's not true. There are many fathers out there who want to do the best by their children and want to pay for their children and also want to have a relationship. Many fathers out there are paying for their children and not seeing their children at all. So that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like a fair society where you're expected to be entirely responsible for a child you never see. Under the false allegations made by a jealous or angry and bitter, twisted spouse, that just doesn't seem like a fair way to operate society.
3: What happened to the UK's child support system?
0: What happens there, there was a company called the CSA, the Child Support Agency, and that changed over to the CMS, the Child Maintenance Service, in about 2012. There were a whole bunch of accounts with the CSA where they collected nearly a billion pounds worth of revenue from these fathers, but then deleted all of the records for the mother's to where it needed to go. Now, there's been a change of name, like a window company that's gone bankrupt. and It's uh, Windows RRs, and and by the next day, it's Windows Forever. Right. They they just changed the name. It's the same thing with the Child Support Agency, I believe. They're just spreading over uh, this unimagined debt, this debt that doesn't even exist, over lots and lots of fathers, and forcing them to pay this arrears, That doesn't exist. The National Audit Office has refused to sign them off for about 10 years. Their powers are to go into the CSA and see what's going on there. And for about 10 years, they've not been able to sign them off. So that gives you an indication about where they are. They're a business making lots of money, and we don't know where that money is.
3: So how does that CMS guy help?
0: Lots of men go to call With the piece of paper that comes through the the letterbox. Mm -hmm. And so they've got no ability to be able to refute the money that they're they're saying that they're owed. We went to court about five or six times last year refuting the money that we owed, and we were able to prove it, facts and figures. I actually developed a folder which cross-referenced absolutely everything. And this is where I came in because I'd done the work and done all this cross-referencing and provided a, a folder for cms and i had a folder and i said look you can look on any page upon anything that you're asking me and i'll prove to you i don't owe you anything i realized that this is a system that's broken this is a system that is not just and um, persecuting me it's persecuting all fathers and i i needed to look further into it i needed to understand because i buried my head in the sand I decided that it was just too overwhelming. I'd gone through so much with false allegations, the breakdown of my marriage, and the loss of all the things I'd lost. That going through another horror, which is child support agency, just seemed overwhelming so for such a long period of time. Maybe a couple of years. I didn't really look at the paperwork. I just left my wife to look after it. I just mm-hmm. couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. It was every time a, a letter went through the post box. I was filled with this dread and anxiety. And the the looming threat of having your passport taken, your driving licence, which would prevent you from working, I thought, this can't be right. This can't be... Why is it that men are treated so disparagingly just because they want to be in their child's life, just because they are the father's? Surely, childcare is a joint effort. Surely, if both parents are working and have financial means. They'll be able to come to some form of arrangement to uh, provide for the child between them. So I started to look into it, and there were certain individuals who had gone through the CMS as well, who had done some real deep dive exploration into every single aspect of the the CMS. Brian Hudson. Brian Hudson. (laughs) So I wanted to look further into what's going on here. I want to know why is it they can just say that I owe so much and I can prove that that's not the case. And yet they can just disregard the evidence as though it's not ever even be presented. So I, I did what everybody does. They look on YouTube. <laughs> it's <laughs> my saving I, grace. <laughs> exactly. And I found Brian Hudson. His marriage broke down. And he faced false allegations, I think. And he he was a man who had quite a successful business worth over a million quid, I think. The assets of that business was being drained by the CMS. He ended up losing that business, ended up losing his livelihood, had to live in a camper van or a trader tent for a period of time. He was an individual who was interested in data. And so he would drill down into the data. So he wanted to find out a little bit more about the CMS too. But he actually did some really interesting research. Actually, I'm surprised it's not a national scandal because he's proved there's a correlation between the way that they deal with fathers and father's deaths or non-resident parents' deaths. But CMS don't want to see that link because the moment that there is a, a link proved in court, cool, that's it. It would be a watershed moment and people will be sued left, right, and center. Oh, yeah. They do not want to acknowledge that the way that they're impacting others' lives is causing them to commit suicide.
3: Do you know Brian personally?
0: I've never met the guy, but you can definitely tell that he's done all the research needed to expose the CMS for the corrupt monster that it is in order to... Pump out the dead big dead trope to keep the, the the wheels turning in terms of their ability to be not culpable or responsible uh, for any of the the harm they caused. But what that did, there's a charity in the UK and it's registered in Wales, and that's called Split the Difference. Brian Hudson connected with Sally Ann Burris, who is the the founder of Split the Difference, and they did a lot of research. Together to come up with a plan, a strategic legal plan in order to challenge the CMS. They've written to the governments, they've they've done their research across the countries, across borders, and worked out what the correlation is with the Istanbul Convention and how there is a country-to-country agreement on how they're going to impact policy from the top down in all spheres of of society in the Western world, America, Canada, the UK. That is a top-down agreement in the Istanbul Convention. You can check. I've also done a video on that as well.
3: Shoot me a link to those, because I'll definitely put a link to them in our show notes.
0: I, I I, I will do. All I'm really doing is trying to shed light on what some really brilliant people have done and trying to get more eyes on it so that people can get behind it. So what what Sally-Ann Burris has compiled, she's got a legal team in place. She has got cases of false arrears that have been made and destroyed the lives of individuals. And she wants to take about 500 to 800 people all in one go to present that to court. Because if you take one or 10 people to court, you can imagine that the court rushed them aside, but if you take five hundred to eight hundred, it'll be a watershed moment.
3: And of course, all that costs money.
0: When you realise that you're what you're experiencing is being experienced by thousands of other people, and in various intensities, some worse than my own, you either got to put your head in the sand and say, "All that matters is I've got to get through," or you're gonna say, "Hold a minute! We all need to challenge this together. We all need to stand together." And yeah, you know, I've heard the horror stories in America. I've heard the horror stories of how women can get men to be responsible for a child that's not even theirs, and all that kind of stuff is.
3: The system definitely needs a major overhaul. As we're running out of time, any advice you can give to our
0: listeners? When I was going through court, you hear it a lot: the mental health or the the mental state of an individual is the the number one reason why men have their children removed. It's a systemic abuse that's set in motion by a grieving or a a bitter ex-partner who either wants to punish the man or remove the child from them. But then systemically, that is allowed in in the family courts. And so these allegations, you can imagine, are protracted, they're terrible, they're hurtful, and it causes men to lose their minds. They react badly, and they proved to the courts that they are not the father that needs to be in in that child's life. All the men going through this terrible ordeal, which is a huge injustice, you need to put all that BS in a box You need to say, this is about the ex-partner or the ex-wife wanting to get the upper hand. And what you need to do is recognize that and not rise to it. You need to stay as calm and as stoic as you possibly can, recognizing that your child or children are the main priority. And recognizing that you're dealing with a system that is actively against you. It's not in your favor it uses the children act 1989 to actively uh, discriminate against you but knowing that there are things that you can do you can seek out people that you trust people who are able to keep you calm keep you level headed keep you unemotional because that's the whole point is to get you into a state of fight and flight so that you can't think straight recognize that the person making these allegations is not the person that you you fell in love with the person you fell in love with probably doesn't even exist this is just a person trying to extract uh, the the things that you love most out of your life and that's mainly going to be your children you need to come to terms with the fact that the person that you love doesn't exist the people that you love your children they are the most important so you need to stay calm you need to stay collected go to the gym eat healthy Uh, if you believe in god trust in him that's what i did i believe in trusting my savior jesus christ but also if you've got family friends who can keep you calm keep you sane help you have an attitude that is of humility when you go to in front of the judge so that you don't say or do anything that puts your your relationship with your children at risk this is an unjust system and you have to recognize that and also yeah, participating things like "Why Daddy Never Cries" and because what you're really doing is you're listening to the stories of men who have gone through these terrible uh, ordeals. And the more that you you're hearing their voices, it's going to allow other men to see that they're not alone. And the more that they are able to to recognise that there is other people who are involved in the same thing.
3: That is great advice, brother. Paul, founder and host of That CMS Guy. We can find him on TikTok and YouTube. Thank you, sir, for coming on the show today. It was great great meeting you and finally talking to you face-to-face.
0: And you too, Jack. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I just pray for the best for uh, my dad. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing. And you're really listening to uh, father's voices, which is hugely important. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, sir. And we didn't even get into False Allegations Day that you represented yesterday at in the UK. Uh, That'll be a podcast for another day. I look forward to talking to you again, sir.
0: See you then.
3: All right, brother. We heard a lot today. One thing I'd like to point out, because I almost fell victim to the same trap. Religious leaders, like most good people, they want to help. But we don't always know if we're on the right side of that help. So don't lose who you are. Don't lie for somebody else. Don't go outside of your belief system, because you might not be on the right side of justice that day. I would have caught a charge had I bumped into any of my ex's abusive ex-boyfriends. I'd probably still catch a charge if I saw a man hurting a woman. There's a big difference between seeing something with your own eyes and hearsay. Never forget that when you make your decisions. I think we all make this mistake at one time or another. You got to keep your kids out of your plans. Paul might have had 50-50 custody, albeit I can tell you from experience, if your partner is hell-bent on you not having equal custody, they will do everything to make it exponentially harder once they are ordered to comply. And many of us, when we get to that child support stage of the divorce, the money-making stage, we are so exhausted that we're either making mistakes or will regret that we signed something. I know in New York State, you pay child support until the age of 21. So if your child isn't married, or in the military, or working full-time, you're paying child support once they graduate high school. Now imagine that your spouse alienates your child from you. And the known mental health effects that's caused by this? Your child becomes a drug addict. They're living under a bridge in a foreign country. In New York State, you're still paying that mother-child support from high school graduation until the child is 21. And you know what? Your lawyer... Your barrister? They work for you, man. If I hear one more story about how we had evidence to clear our names, we would have won. We would have won time with our children. We would have saved our finances. But then you hear, Oh, my lawyer didn't, wouldn't, couldn't, or delayed submitting that evidence? I think if I hear that shit again, my head's gonna fucking explode. They work for you. John in California, on the Army Vet episode, said it best. Our legal system is a business, and we are consumers, and consumers are protected by law. They work for you. Don't let these lazy bastards, and I'm not saying all lawyers are lazy bastards, but a lot can be. Don't let these lazy bastards convince you otherwise. They are trained to win in arguments. Don't let them fuck you out of your children because they have another agenda or are too damn lazy to do their job.
2: We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram. And let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children syndrome that's plaguing this world.
3: You can't change what happened to you, brothers. So figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy.